Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, all. Good morning, all. Um, our reading for today is taken from Isaiah chapter 9, from verses 1 to 7. Isaiah chapter 9, from verses 1 to 7. I've been asked to tell you that at the end of this reading, I'll say, This is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, Thank you. Isaiah chapter 9, from verses 1 to 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be filled for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. So I, I really don't know. Is it, is it me or is it you guys? Like every time I say good morning, you guys first give me this. Yeah, it's happy to see you. And then I have to beg you and then you guys. So let's try it again. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, so it was me. Yeah, it was me. It was me. But it is actually a good morning because it's good to see you guys. Um, and those of you who are watching from home, um, I should apologize. We've had a few hitches with um, the network and the internet. And it's one of those things where you wonder, why today? Why not yesterday? Why not last week? You know? But please bear with us. Um, the carol won't be like that, okay? So um, don't hesitate to join in in the evening. Let's say a word of prayer before we start. We need to hear from you. We really need a word from you. Because if we don't hear from you, what can we do? Lord, we want to want you more each day. We want you to show us your perfect way. Oh, God, please help us to hear from you. And help us to be changed this morning. In Jesus' name. So if you are just joining us, we are in the second week of our Advent series. Um, And 
typically in City Church, what we do is every year, towards the end of the year, around December, we do an Advent series to just kind of reset our hearts around the truth of Christ coming, his incarnation, that God actually becomes man. That this God who is, or who we think is far away, is actually not far away, but actually has come close to us. And so we've titled this year's um, Advent series, He is Coming. Can you say that? Let's try that again. He is coming. coming. Turn to your neighbor and say he is coming. Right. Some people, some people are cringing. But he is coming. And that actually reminds me of um, an old MTN advert. I I, am not sure. It might be MTN, it might be Globe. I think it's MTN. It's an old MTN advert. And some of you guys might remember this. There's a guy, you know, starts, the screen is a bit dark, and then it's getting gray. And then there's a guy we see a young boy with his dad, they've gone fishing apparently all night, and then they are, they are rolling their nets in, and then the sun begins to rise, right? The sun begins to rise, and everything is changing. And as the sun is rising, the sun actually seems to be coming closer. But this time, it's not just the sun. There's a yellow glow that is also coming closer. And the boy sees this, and he's shouting, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And then whatever it is, Whatever is coming, this yellow glow starts moving closer to the boy, and the boy begins to run after this yellow glow. And he leaves his dad, he leaves the people around him, he's chasing this thing, and then he eventually gets this yellow glow, and his life changes, and everything about him changes. And we have MTN to thank for all the changes that our lives have recorded, right? But that advert actually points to something about this Advent season, about Christmas. It's a time of longing, it's a time of expectation is a time of desire. I don't know about you guys. Apparently for me, not anymore, but a few years ago, I, I, I still, it's my annual Christmas joke. The first Christmas sermon I preached in City Church, I said, I'm the kind of guy who listens to Christmas carols in March. Right? I start from March. But life has happened. I no, longer, I no longer listen to Christmas carols. Like I have to try, I have to schedule it. I have to download a playlist to remind me to listen to Christmas carols. And some of us are like that. That longing, that expectation, that desire has been taken away. Um, life has happened. 2020 has happened. Like it's been an obstacle in our path that has taken the longings away. And this yellow glow we've been chasing has now become elusive. And if you're like that this morning, well, good news for you because the passage we are dealing with this morning is Isaiah's way of saying, he is coming, he is coming, and this glow is going to change your life. This sun that is coming is going to change your life. Except this time, it's not the yellow glow of MTN, as great as MTN is. And I've potted from MTN. When I met my wife, I potted from MTN. So. But as great as the yellow glow of MTN is, it's not the thing that's going to change us. As great as whatever you are longing and looking for, the um, thrill of getting married, the thrill of that next high when you use those substances, the thrill of going on a marathon, the thrill of fulfilling your goals for the year, the thrill of actually progressing your career, the thrill on December 13th when the annual bonus hits your account and you're like, wow, it has come. It has come. He is coming. No, that's not what's going to change your life. Isaiah says that what is actually going to change our life is a God who brings deliverance and a God who is the great deliverer. And so what we see this morning are these two great promises. One, the God who brings great deliverance and the God who brings, um, who is the deliverer. And so the two points are um, 
I haven't even said the sermon title yet, forgive me. The, the title of the sermon is He is Coming, and the two points are um, the coming deliverance and the coming deliverer. The coming deliverance and the coming deliverer. So the first one, the coming deliverance. Now, I should warn you guys, um, we're going to do a little bit of Bible overview, Bible survey, plus history, plus geography. So if you don't like any of those things, you cannot walk out. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The door is locked, okay? So, but it's actually going to be fun. So we need to understand a little bit of what's going on here. What's the backstory here? And so there's a first map that's going to come up. Um, you may have heard of the kingdom of Israel. Now, the kingdom of Israel was, you know, the, the people of God in the Old Testament. And so it really began under King Saul, and then it, it expanded under King David. Um, you can see the, there's, a, there's a red one, which is where it started from, and then it moves a little bit on um, to David. And David actually expands this empire, or this kingdom, I should say. But then Solomon, his, his son, comes in, and then Solomon is a very wise ruler. God blesses him. God expands his territory, and the kingdom of Israel actually extends. People actually paying tribute to the kingdom of Israel, to Solomon under um, when he was king. But then, like every business owner fears, every parent fears, like, am I going to build this business and then nobody's going to you know, sell it or do something? That is exactly what happens. And so Solomon, who is this very wise guy, has a son who is a very foolish guy, and under him, the kingdom becomes split in two. And so the kingdom, we go to the next map, the kingdom that was actually this big becomes these two things. And so there's a northern kingdom of 10 tribes um, that is called the nation of Israel. See, so it retains the name Israel, or sometimes called Ephraim. And then there's a southern kingdom that is a lot much smaller, but is faithful to the Davidic line, to the house of David, and it's called the kingdom of Judah. And it's really made up of two tribes. And so you can, you can imagine this is a little bit of you know, political instability, if you like. Um, these guys are constantly, sometimes, sometimes not constantly, but sometimes at war with each other. And that's actually the background to chapter 19. You see, uh, chapter 9, rather, of Isaiah. Between Isaiah 7 and 9, we see a king called Ahaz, who is the king of the smaller southern kingdom of Judah, who, at his, when, when he comes on, on the throne, the, kingdom of the, the king of the northern kingdom doesn't like him. He doesn't like whatever he stands for. He doesn't like his popsy. He doesn't like his dad. And so he decides, we are going to remove this guy, and we're going to install our own king, a guy who is going to be faithful to us. And so this is already, you can imagine, this is already, like, this is already bad. But then he decides that he's not just going to do it alone, this guy with 10 tribes. He's not just going to do it alone. He's going to join arms with another powerful king in the region, the king of Syria. And they're going to take down this southern, this small southern kingdom of Judah together. I can imagine the tremor in the heart of King Ahaz. You can take the map down. You can imagine the, the tremor in the heart of King Ahaz. Like, wow, this is actually everything about me is coming to an end right now. But God sends a message to Ahaz and says, Ahaz, calm down. Like, I imagine in my mind, like, Isaiah walks there with this keep calm, be cool t-shirt. And he says to Ahaz, cool down. I'm going to show up for you. But rather than believe God, Ahaz decides to trust someone else. And so he locks arms with the king of Assyria. 
we've been talking about Assyria the last few weeks. We, we, we can't seem to get past Assyria, but he locks arms with the king of Assyria to ask him for help. And what Ahaz actually does is not just a refusal of good counsel, it's not just a refusal of good advice, it's not even just a refusal of an offer of help. He's actually turning his back on God. In fact, what we learn about, about King um, Ahaz is that he's such a prolific idol worshiper. He's the kind of guy that he goes somewhere, he sees something, he likes it, and he exports it back home. And so in 2 Kings chapter 16, he actually travels to the land of Assyria. He sees an altar um, to idols there, and he brings it back home. And so not just Ahaz, but all of God's people have turned their backs on Ahaz, on God, rather. And what God is saying between chapter 7 and 8 of Isaiah is that these people that you have trusted in, this kingdom of Assyria that you have looked to for help, will become the very things that ensnare you, become the very tools of judgment that I'm going to send to you. And so in Isaiah 8, 19 to 22, God says to them, When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not the people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward, will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. And what God is saying to Ahaz is that I'm going to send my judgment on you guys. You guys think you are looking for freedom, but you're actually going to get oppression. You guys think you are looking for light, but you're actually going to get darkness. And God is saying to them, guys, like when you turn to idols, that's what you get. And then we come to chapter 9, verses 1 to 5, where our text starts this morning. And on the one hand, it's kind of like, what's going on here? Because 8, 19 to 22 ends with this powerful note of warning and judgment that God is going to send. But chapter 9 begins with this very hopeful tune. And it presents a beautiful contrast between what these people are going to experience, but what God is going to do. And there are two things we see in these verses. God says he's going to bring a deliverance that will come through the dawn of light and the dawn of life. God is going to bring about a deliverance that will come through the dawn of light and the dawn of life. So the first one, the dawn of light. Verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah chapter 9 says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those, who live, on those living rather in the, in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. I hear what Isaiah is saying is, you guys have gotten yourself into darkness. You guys have walked your way into darkness, but God is going to bring about new light. And you may already see what Isaiah is doing here. He is... He is referring back to Genesis chapter 1, where God looks into the darkness of the world and God says, yes, I see this darkness, but let there be light. And God single-handedly brings about light in the midst of darkness. 
And Isaiah is saying, God is going to bring about a new creation. You guys have walked your way into, into darkness. You guys have walked your way into the destruction of this creation. But God is going to bring about a new creation. But then he mentions two tribes of the nation of Israel. The tribes of Zebulon and Naphtali. Two tribes that I'm sure none of us here have thought about in the last six months. Even the children of Israel didn't, didn't think much about these tribes. Like when we're thinking about the tribes of Israel, for those of us who grew up in church, you, you probably remember Judah, you remember Levi, and that's pretty much it. Naphtali is like down, down, down at the bottom. But why does Isaiah call attention to these two tribes? The answer is in 2 Kings 15, verse 29. In 2 Kings 15, verse 29, the king of Assyria, when Ahaz has locked hands with him, the king of Assyria actually begins his entry into the nation of Israel from these two tribes. And so you see there it says, he took Gilead and Galilee, including all the land of Naphtali, and deported the people to Assyria. So he begins his work of destruction, his work of annexing these people of God from these two tribes, the tribes of Naphtali and um, Zebulon. But he doesn't just deport them. He also imports his own people from his own land. He brings them to the land of the people of God. And it's as though he's saying, I'm not just trying to destroy you guys. I want to destroy you guys completely. I don't want any memory of God's people to ever remain. Because what those people will do, they will come into, the, in, into, the, into those two tribes, into those two places. And then they will intermarry with God's people. And then they will turn their hearts away from God. And then those, those, um, those people will turn away from God and become idol worshippers. And so actually he destroys them. He decimates them. He humbles them like the verses. But at the root of that word humble, is not just a humbling, a humbling of like, oh, wow, like, you know, that's humble. It's actually, it means to treat with contempt. He treats them contemptuously. He's saying, you guys are worth nothing. You guys are nothing. And I'm going to make sure that you guys stay that way. But here we see God promising that in this very same place where you experience a humbling, where you experience contempt, where there's darkness, I'm going to bring about light. I'm going to bring about honor. I'm going to bring about an elevation that even though you guys have worked this by your own hand, I'm going to do it myself. Where there is a destruction of the old creation, there will be an emergence of the new creation. And friends, let's just ponder this for a few minutes. Because what we see here is that God says he's going to take away the identity of these people. These people who have been shamed, these people who have been humiliated, these people who have been destroyed. He's going to bring about a new people. He's going to confer on them a new identity. And if you're a Christian here this morning, friends, God has done the same for you. God has taken away your old identity. God has taken away the shame and whatever you've experienced, and God has given you a new identity. He has made a new creation. He has brought light out of the darkness that you've experienced. 2 Corinthians 5.17, I love it in the King James. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away. And he says, behold, all things have become new. He's saying, look at it. God has brought about a new creature. 
And maybe there's someone that actually needs that word here this morning. That you feel like, oh, like you don't even have this sense of who you are and, and your identity. But God says, no, you are no longer defined by the things you used to do. You're no longer defined by whatever darkness you are going through. I have given you a new identity. You are a new creation. But you see, the second thing that also does to us, friends, is that it, because we have not contributed anything to earn God's favor, it means also that we can forgive ourselves. And as I was meditating on this yesterday, it just struck me that there might be someone who needs to hear that here this morning. Please forgive yourself. Why? Because God has forgiven you in Christ. You cannot out the grace of God. You cannot out-mess up God's grace that comes to you in Christ. And part of the reason why this is hard for us is because we often don't ponder down what it means to be saved by grace. We, we feel like we want to contribute something to the grace of God. We feel like, I, I, need, I need to just do something to show that I'm sorry. I need to do something to show that I'm no longer this person who was a serial aborter or who was a, who was a slave to sex or to weed or to whatever other thing you were going through. And God is saying, no, 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 no. You didn't do that to yourself. I did that to you. You are a new creation. Forgive yourself and move on. God brings about a new light, friends. That's the deliverance he brings. And that's what he's saying to the people of Israel. And that's what he does to us as well. But you see, we also see that this coming deliverance God brings about is the dawn of life. The dawn of life. And in verses 3 to 5, he says, You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boots used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fueled for fire. And what God is saying here, speaking through Isaiah to these people who are working their way into bondage, he says, I'm bringing about the dawn of new life for you. In verse 3, God says, I'm going to enlarge the nation. And he's speaking about how this southern tribe has become just two tribes, a shell of itself. Like some of you, your university or secondary school is kind of like just living on old glory. That was how these people were living on old glory. And God is saying, I'm going to take away this old glory. I'm going to enlarge the nation. I'm going to make you guys bigger than you ever were before. And in verse 3, look at it. Verse 3, he says, can we have verse 3 up? Yeah, let me just read verse 3 here. In verse 3, he says, You have enlarged the nation. You have increased their joy. They rejoice before you. As people rejoice in the harvest, as warriors rejoice. And he's just talking about joy that is going to come. And he's saying, I'm going to inundate you guys with joy. You guys are going to experience a joy that you've never experienced before. In verse 4, he says he's going to break the bonds of their oppressors. And he uses the language, when he's talking about Midian there, you may have heard of Gideon the judge, one of the judges in the Old Testament. And he's saying that, that the same deliverance you experienced when Gideon walked um, under God to bring about deliverance from Midian, that is the same deliverance you're going to experience from all those who are oppressing you currently. God will bring about deliverance from the bonds of the oppressors and the oppression they experienced. And God is saying to them in very simple terms, that he's going to give them a new life that will be joyous and a new life that will be full of freedom. 
a new life that will be joyous and a new life that will be full of freedom. He's bringing about a coming deliverance that will be the dawn of light and the dawn of new life. And what God is saying to them is, I'm not just going to change your identity. I'm not just going to change your status. I'm going to give you guys benefits as well. You know, um, have you ever gone to meet someone or greet someone? You heard that the person has gotten a promotion, and then you go and meet the person and say, hey, congratulations. And then as you are celebrating, how we go wash and the person wash waiting? The promotion doesn't change anything. It doesn't bring anything. It's just a promotion in name. Or in our traditional system in Nigeria, where we have three tiers of traditional rulers, and then someone becomes a traditional ruler on the third tier. He has changed his identity, but nothing has really changed because now he's the one that has to suddenly be bankrolling his village and paying for all the things that are going on, you see. It's a change of identity, but it actually doesn't bring any benefit. And what God is saying is that I'm not going to be like that. This change I'm bringing for you guys, this deliverance I'm bringing for you guys is not just going to change your identity, it's also going to confer on you benefits as well. And you see, friends, some of you might be thinking, yeah, yeah, I hear that. I'm a Christian. God doesn't just change my identity. God gives me benefits. I'm saying, I don't experience it. And, and it's true. You probably don't experience it. And the reason the Bible says, one of the reasons you don't experience it is because we spend more time listening to ourselves rather than speaking to ourselves. What do I mean? There's a man, a preacher from the past century, probably one of the greatest preachers ever, his name is Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he preached a sermon um, from Psalm 43, verse 5, Psalm 42, verse 5, and 11. And there the psalmist is saying, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. He's talking to himself, for I will again praise him, my salvation and my God. And what, and what the, the preacher shows is that many times we go through difficult times, we go through hard times, because we don't talk about the truth of God to ourselves. We spend a lot of time, you know those thoughts going on in your head, we spend a lot of time listening to those thoughts rather than combating those thoughts with the truth that God has given us. You see, even though your identity is changed, it doesn't always manifest experientially, and you have to fight for those things to be manifested experientially in your life. So you feel like, oh, well, yeah, I just want that thing. I just want it. I just want it. And, and, and there's, yeah, I know the Bible says we should not be greedy, but I just want it, and there's nothing I can do. Well, the Bible says, Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6, keep your lives free from the love of money because he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, you can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What will anyone do to me? You feel so afraid, and you feel like I don't know what is going on. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom will I be afraid? You're battling with lust, and it seems like, oh, I don't know how to actually go about these things. Well, Titus 2, 11 says that God has given us salvation that actually helps us to be able to say no to ungodliness. And on and on and on, the Bible is full of promises. We don't experience God's new life because we don't actually meditate on what he has given us in his word. And so these benefits, friends, manifest themselves as we constantly fill our minds with the word of God and we constantly report the word of God back to ourselves. 
We don't allow how we wake up in the morning to define our day. We say instead, I'm going to define my day by what God says about me and the benefits God has given to me. Amen. Amen. But you see also, this means, friends, that we are no longer defined by our struggles. We're no longer defined by our struggles. We're no longer defined by the things that we are battling with in our flesh. And you feel like, man, I just struggle consistently with having a, a vibrant prayer life. I just struggle consistently with fighting the habits that have held me back. I just struggle consistently with all these things. And it's true, you might be struggling with those things, but you see, the life that God gives to us, the benefits that come to us, when God gives us a new identity, work themselves out gradually in our lives. And so those things that we battle with, those things that we struggle with, no longer define us, friends. We are defined by what God says about us in his word. But it means also, friends, that because we have these benefits, the greatest benefit of all being the Holy Spirit that has been given to us as a guarantee of what is to come, we have the ability to fight sin and all the things that actually hold us back from being who God wants us to be. And so I love this very much. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, speaking about Christ, Paul writes that God has exerted power in the raising of Christ from the dead and has now seated him in the heavenly places, but he doesn't just stop there, as great as that is. He says in Ephesians 2, verse 6, continuing on from that, that God has also now seated us in the heavenly places with Christ. And so you see, we don't just, we no longer fight for victory in the Christian life, friends. We fight from victory. Because we have been raised with Christ, we have been joined with Christ, and all the benefits that Christ has had, all the things that God has done for Christ, all the victory that Christ has won is ours as well. And so Isaiah is saying to these guys, there is a coming deliverance that brings the dawn of light, but also the dawn of a new life. But why are these two things staggering? Why are they mind-blowing? Is because, like we've seen, these guys actually worked their way into the, into the idolatry and the slavery they were experiencing. It was a creation of their own making. And so for Israel, for Judah, it was a physical oppression. It was something they could actually see. There was an imminent threat that was coming, and they were going to experience it. But for many of us, it doesn't always feel that way, right? There is no one physically binding our hands. There are no chains holding us. But oftentimes we feel like, man, there's something holding me. There's an oppression I'm experiencing. And Isaiah is saying, hey, look, you can only ever find deliverance. You can only ever find freedom in God. Well, maybe you are not a Christian here. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, all this talk about idolatry and stuff. But what we see here is that all our idols, all the things we turn, turn to and run to apart from God will always leave us in darkness and will always leave us in oppression. You know, sometimes our idols work like someone who tries to use a microphone, not this one, that type, to hit in a piece of nail. And depending on the size of, 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 of the nail, you can actually get it in, in through the wood. Well, you see, because you are misusing the fundamental misuse of what this thing has been designed for, you cannot experience the light that it is meant to bring. You cannot experience the light of the amplification of your voice, like I'm talking in this room. 
And that's where all our idolatries, all the things we pursue apart from Christ always lead us. They lead us to a place where our desires and longings may be satisfied in the short term. But long term, nothing about us substantially changes. And Isaiah is saying, turn away from your idols. Turn away from the things that you're looking to. Turn away from refusing to listen to God's word and God's instructions. And turn to the living God, who alone can bring deliverance and who alone can bring rescue. But you see, it doesn't just stop there. And so we'll go to the second and final point, the coming deliverer. And what's just amazing about this passage is not just what God says he's going to do in spite of all his people have done, is also how God will bring this to pass. And so in verses 6 to 7, he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And see, that verse, verse 6, starts with the word for to indicate that all the deliverance, all the things that God has promised is only going to be fulfilled in this way, through the birth of a child. We see it's not just the birth of any child, it's the birth of a son who will be a ruler and who will sit on the throne of David and who will sit over the kingdom of David. And that's great, except that at this point there was really no kingdom of David. Remember that at this point, as we saw on the, the, the maps earlier, that the kingdom has been divided, the kingdom has been broken. But God is saying there is going to come about a king who will bring and establish this kingdom of David. He will restore it. He will bring it back. But also he says there will be no limitation to the rule of this Davidic king. In verse 7 he says, Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. Establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And God is saying there will be no end. There's no expiry date to this guy. Nothing is going to come that will actually shatter your hopes and dreams of this guy's rule. Just think about that for a minute. What is the greatest enemy of all the things that we actually enjoy in this life? Any guesses? Sin, death, time. I actually think it's time. I think it's time. I think everything we're enjoying in this life is actu actually has an expression date set on it somehow. Have you ever gone to someone's house? And just when you are, when, when, you know, maybe the party started at 7 o'clock, and then you guys are meant to end at 10. But something just happens. At 9.30, there's a new lease of life in the room. And everybody's just talking, and everybody's going. But then the host have to actually get their kids ready for school the following morning. So now they just, they, you just see them standing up, turning off the TV. The AC goes off. You know, just, just like, guys, it's time to be going. It's time to leave your house. There's a time to end. Why do we spend a lot of time, for those of us that like food, why do you spend a lot of time eating them, eating the meals, or cooking them? Because there's, there's something you're experiencing about that that you don't want to end. And so if you're like, 
my younger sister, when she was a lot younger, she would be eating the grains of the food, like one grain for like two minutes, just going there and just staying there so that the thing doesn't end. Why do we take pictures? For memories, we don't want the memory, the pleasure of what we're experiencing in the moment to ever be forgotten. And for some of us who have friends with benefits, why do we keep going back there? Even though we know what the Bible says and we know, yeah, it's because there's something you're enjoying from the person and you feel like, man, I don't want this to ever end. Time is the greatest enemy of all the things that we're experiencing in life. And God is saying to these guys that that enemy will no longer be there. I'm going to take away every expiration of the pleasure that you guys will ever experience. And I'm going to make sure that it lasts forever. But then imagine that you are someone who, who is hearing the original audience, who is hearing this prophecy, and I'm like, wow, this is, this is just fantastic. How is this going to come about? Is King Ahaz going to have yet another son because in 2 Kings 16, this guy apparently has a lot of sons because he had a son and then he decides, what's this guy good for? What's he good for again? Please just go and sacrifice him. And so is this guy going to get married again and he's going to have yet another son? But so that we don't miss what God is about to do, Isaiah tells us in verses 6 and 7 the names of this son. And he says, this son will be called a wonderful counselor. And it's the same way Isaiah describes God in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 29, saying that God's counsel is wonderful. God's wisdom is wise. He says this child is going to be called the mighty God. Another way he describes God in Isaiah 10, 21, that God is mighty. God can do anything. He says this, guy is, this child is going to be called the everlasting father, describing the way this guy is going to tend and care for God's flock and sheep. He says this child is going to be called the prince of peace. I might know in the Hebrew word, peace is not just what you're feeling. Peace is shalom. It talks about completeness. It talks about wholeness. It says it means everything exists as it should be. And, and God is saying through Isaiah that this child is going to be one who establishes my rule in the way that it's meant to be. And what God is doing by saying these names is to show that this is not just going to be a human ruler. This is going to be a divine child. This is not just going to be someone that will be born of the flesh. This is someone that will be gifted to you. He's going to establish the Davidic line. He's going to establish David's throne. He's going to enlarge the nation. He's going to bring back what has been lost. And God is doing this to call, his, call the attention of the people of Israel back to his promises in 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 16. In that passage, David had said he was living in, in his house, in his palace, and he was like, man, I can't, I, can't, I can't be living here, and God's house is not a great place. I want to build a house for God. And so God says to David, no, 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 that's great what you want to do, but I'm actually going to do you better. Rather than you build a house for me, I'm going to build a house for you. And God says that in verses 12 and 16 of 2 Samuel, he says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. 
Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And God is saying, you guys may have messed up my plans. You guys may have been trying to sabotage all the things that I've done. You guys have walked your way into idolatry and you've done all these other things. But I will bring to pass my promise. I will bring to pass what I have said. And Isaiah 9, 7 ends with these powerful words. As though God were signing off the letter, the way we sign off with yours truly or yours sincerely. He says in 9, verse 7, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And God is saying basically, I will bring it to pass. God has ginger to bring it to pass. That's what he's saying basically. And you see that word zeal that talks about the jealous love of God. I'm going to guard this thing jealously. I'm going to see to his execution. Nothing that you can do can sabotage it. I will bring it to pass. Isn't that great news, friends, that if we're left to us to work out our own deliverance, we always find a way to sabotage all the deliverance that we could actually get. Just think about your life. Every time it seems like you could have actually done something good for yourself, you always find a way to sabotage it. And God is saying, I will bring it to pass. And so the people here are thinking, wow, um, wow, this is great news. So when is this coming to pass? Is this, com- is this tomorrow? Is this next week? Is this even a hundred years so I can prepare my children? But actually for a long time, we actually don't hear anything. And it seems like God has forgotten his promise. Like, God, how are you going to bring this thing to pass? Didn't you remember what you said? The people of God go into slavery. The northern kingdom is decimated by the Assyrians. It no longer exists. The southern kingdom is taken all the way to Babylon. And it seems like, God, when are you going to bring to pass all these things you've said? And then we read in Matthew chapter 1. As if calling our minds back to what God has said, Matthew begins with the words, the genealogy, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David. And what Matthew is saying by using the word genealogy is the word Genesis. And what he's saying by using the word Genesis is saying the word beginning. And the word beginning, he's talking about a new creation. And he's saying this new creation God said he was going to bring about This is the new creation God is bringing about. And Matthew begins tracing the line of Christ and he begins with Abraham and he moves on to David and he doesn't just stop at David, he goes on to show how Jesus Christ is the person who brings this new light to pass. But he doesn't just stop there. When Christ is about to begin his ministry, Matthew chapter 4, 13 to 17, of all the places that Matthew could have written about or referred to, he picks Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 2. And he's talking about Jesus, and he says there, Matthew 9, 13, Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those dawning in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And there's a fourth mark that actually shows that when Jesus actually moves from Nazareth, to Galilee, he's referring to the same place, those two places that everyone had forgotten. And he starts his ministry from there as, as those saying, I am the person who brings meaning 
out of the place where there has been contempt. I'm the person who brings a new creation out of the place where there has been an old creation. I'm the person who brings new life out of the very same place where there has been destruction. I'm the very person who brings to pass all the things that God has said. And friends, we can trust this Christ. Matthew is showing us that this is the one who is coming, not the glow of the yellow sun of MTN or the glow of whatever thing you are pursuing in your life. This is the son who is coming. This is the one who is coming. This is the one who has come. And this is the one we can look to. I don't know what you're looking up to this morning. I don't know what your particular thing is, but you can trust Christ. You can trust Christ. Isaiah 8, 19 to 22 talks about how instead of looking to God, we often look to our idols, but God sends Christ to us as an offer. And that's what we remember in the season of Christmas as God's offer of new creation for us, as God's offer of the fulfillment of our hopes and our dreams. And we can trust Him. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church Love Jesus Love people Love Lagos